This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Actually, already we're getting some commentary into the programme and one that kind of stuck out for me uh, this morning and I said I'd give it a mention first thing. Uh, it's kind of a text that you're wondering, is this really a sign of the times? Monica, one of our listeners, contacted us to say that she was out doing a little bit of shopping in the city centre on Saturday and she was in a queue in Dunn stores and she said she was standing behind two elderly ladies in the queue and she said the shop was quite busy and uh, but she said she could so she was you know had a period of time behind them in the queue so she couldn't help but overhear the conversation that they were having and she said the first thing that struck her was that both of these elderly ladies had at least six hot water bottles each that they were going up to pay the cashier for and the conversation that she was listening in on was the fact of why they were buying these hot water bottles and it seems they were buying the hot water bottles to keep themselves warm over the winter and one was saying that the hot water bottles were going to be great they could limit their heating wouldn't have to switch on the heating could fill up the hot water bottles they could have the hot water bottles surrounding them sort of as they're sitting on their couch or their comfy chair watching TV and then they could bring the hot water bottles into bed with them and they thought that this was going to be great because it would save them some money on their heating bills and Monica just thought listening to to them that it was so so sad to hear this conversation going on in you know 2022 and she's wondering what sort of a country are we living in the two older ladies obviously you know, we assume there were two friends or maybe there were two sisters but decided that they'd head off on a little shopping trip and they'd be investing in all of these hot water bottles just so that they could save on their heating bills. She feels that the government have left this pair of Irish ladies down and she's felt that they have left them down badly. And myself and John Paul were were talking about that comment in the office this morning before we came on air. And, you know, I was just saying, like, is this a sign of the times? And he reckons there's a lot of other people going to be doing uh, similar things. And obviously these ladies are planning in advance and they're getting the hot water bottles in. And I wonder, will we see a shortage of hot water bottles 
if a lot of people decide to go down that route. But there is something sad to think that we have these elderly people in this predicament that they're already worrying. And we're lucky at the moment we haven't had a cold spell. And all we can do is keep our fingers crossed and hope that we have a mild winter. We haven't had a very, very severe winter in quite some time. But of course, we never know what way the winter is going to go. But the real problem will arise is if we do get a a really, really bad uh, cold spell. But yeah, there is a great sadness in, in hearing older people investing in hot water bottles and you know what struck me was they are probably of the generation that when they were children their own mothers would have tucked them up into bed with hot water bottles but the hot water bottles were only ever used for bed they you know whatever kind of heating was in the house they might have only in those in in previous generations have heated one room but that one room would always have been nice and toasty and warm then the hot water bottles were put into the bed but here were elderly people saying they were going to be sitting watching TV uh, surrounded by their hot water bottles 0818103103 and actually reading through the papers then this morning there isn't a lot of good news particularly when it comes to energy prices home and business owners face further sustained increases in energy costs and this is because of extreme increases in the wholesale energy uh, prices. Now, we already have 125,000 customers who are already behind on their energy bills. And that's up from 100,000 who fell behind on their energy bills during the COVID-19 pandemic. And these figures came out from the ESB Network and Electric Ireland. They were both before uh, an Oireachtas committee yesterday. And they have said that they have sought to slow down and limit the impact of wholesale energy price increases to customers because they've been hedging prices 18 to 24 months ahead. They say due to the extreme and sustained nature of these price increases, unfortunately, all of us as customers, we've all been hit with larger energy bills and the worrying news is they tell us that they're going to continue to uh, rise. The government now obviously is scrambling to try to get emergency payments, particularly to the pay-as-you-go energy customers, because they're the ones most at risk of being cut off this uh, winter and they'll be self-disconnecting themselves. It won't be that they'll be disconnected by their supplier who have guaranteed that nobody will be disconnected, but if your meter runs out, what will happen is they will be self-disconnected. Now the Taoiseach Micheál Martin was speaking in the Dáil. He says there's around 346,000 householders that have prepaid electricity meters. So that is a lot of householders who run the risk of running out of money to put into the meter who could then end up with no uh, electricity. Now a, a 3 million hardship fund that's going to be administered by Mabs and St Vincent uh, de Paul has been put aside. That's to help householders top up on energy meters. But, you know, the opposition are saying three million. That's not going to go uh, very far. Cabinet sources are saying, look, they're focusing on how to make it as quick and as easy as possible for households who are traditional needs payments particularly through community welfare officers. I mean, what happens if somebody needs to get an emergency a payment, say, exactly for that to top up an, an electricity meter and it's a Saturday or, or a Sunday and the community welfare office 
is closed. I mean, what happens then? So they're kind of the discussions that need to be had, had at the moment. The government have provided funding of nearly 46 million and that's for the additional needs uh, payment and that's just for this year, for 2023. That's administered through the community welfare officers but it isn't always possible to get into a community welfare officer to, to cite your case and to say, I need uh, uh, help. So the government are saying themselves that they're, the biggest challenge is going to be you can't see when a pay-as-you-go customer's meter is running out. So it's trying to work out how quickly the payments can be made to those people who are struggling. Now, Miho Martin said that no vulnerable person will be disconnected. But Electric Ireland, their executive director, made clear that such a characterisation only applies to people with certain medical conditions. They are the people who contact their supplier to say that they're vulnerable. They go on the special vulnerable list, but you need to contact your supplier to say that you suffer from whatever medical condition it is and that therefore you cannot be disconnected from electricity. It's now understood that invitations have been made and have been sent out to all of the energy suppliers and to the CRU, the Commission of Regulation of Utilities, and they've been asked to come and meet Eamon Ryan for further discussions. The government is hoping that measures announced in the budget last week, such as the double welfare payment, the €600 energy credit, that that will all be enough to get householders through what everybody accepts is going to be a difficult few months. The CRU said it has already let Eamon Ryan's department know that making any additional credits to pay-as-you-go customers is going to be difficult because of the way the metering system works. And that metering system doesn't provide the data to the electric companies to identify the people who are most at risk. And of course, uh, it's not that this government... This current government doesn't have money because the Exchequer surplus has just been announced to the end of September and the Exchequer surplus to the end of September came in at 7.9 billion euro and while the overall tax revenue for the first nine months of this year that came in at under 58 uh, billion and is that up or down it's up it's up over a quarter on the same period last year so the money is there but the challenges now that are going to face the electricity suppliers and the government is how do you identify the pay-as-you-go customers that is most vulnerable and they're also obviously going to have to work out who's, dare I use the word, scamming it, who there will be some people and some of them on pay-as-you-go who will decide, actually we won't bother paying because there's a hardship fund there so you've got to identify the people who can't pay as opposed to the people who simply don't want to pay. So it's going to be a pretty difficult time ahead. But I think their biggest one is going to be if they're planning that the money is going to be given out through the community welfare uh, offices, it's going to make sure that everyone has access to a community welfare office. Did we only... Was it yesterday or Monday? Somebody mentioned that they were living in Mitchellstown and there isn't a community welfare office in Mitchellstown. Are I'm sure they said in Formoy either. And for the Mitchellstown person, their nearest community welfare office was Clonmel. It meant going into Clonmel to speak to a community welfare officer to identify their needs. So if they're going to be relying on the uh, the the good work of the community welfare offices officers, I think they're going to have to open up more more offices and make them uh, available, or else make the system somehow available that people 
people can phone in and put up some kind of a system in place. So they're just some of the challenges that are going to face the government, particularly with this commitment that no one's going to get disconnected this winter. We're going to be talking about smoking a little bit later on on the programme and trying to encourage anyone who is still smoking, particularly when the cigarettes went up in last week's budget by another 50 cent. We're trying to help people to quit smoking. And when I mentioned that with uh, Ken earlier on this morning, I was talking about I remember a time when a price of a pack of cigarettes when they were getting close to 10 euro a pack would have been when I was smoking. People said, oh, they want to 10 euro. I'll give them up. And now I, th- I think I'm open to correction. And maybe a smoker can confirm it. I think they're at, are they at 15 euro or maybe even over 15 euro? Well, Michael's picking me up on that and says, Trish, on cigarette uh, prices, Michael is of the generation, has been around long enough, he says, to remember when 10 cigarettes were nine old pennies a packet. And when they went up to 10 old pennies, everybody at the time was saying, if they go to a shilling, and by the way, a shilling would be 5p in today's terms. Uh, Michael said everybody was saying they'd give them up. They'd absolutely give them up if they ever went to a shilling. Lo and behold, they're still singing the same old tune. And unfortunately, some people are still smoking. Yeah, it's so, it is such an addictive habit, unfortunately. And that's why hopefully we'll be able to give uh, some tips a little bit later on and try to encourage somebody uh, to finally kick the habit. And thank you to Colin in uh, Butterfield. We've been talking about energy prices and I mentioned the other day, uh, was there anyone who was very organised who would tracked how much home heating oil was? Because somebody had been on to us saying, is now a good time to buy home heating oil? Somebody has a half, about a half a tank and is saying, look, I've got enough uh, to keep me going over the next number of months. But I'm wondering, normally buy at this time, but wondering what should I do with the way the prices are gone, etc. So I put the shout out, as, had anybody been tracking the price of home heating oil and where are we at with home heating oil? Because if you're looking at the petrol stations, it's certainly diesel and uh, unleaded petrol has come down, but it's kind of stagnated, hasn't it? It's kind of stayed at the same price probably for the last couple of weeks. So Colin and Butterfield, anyway, uh, he's been keeping quite a record of his oil just over the last 12 months. So he says he purchased uh, and he buys it in 500 litres, which I think is what a lot of people do. So in August of 2021, so August of last year, he paid €389, under €400 for his 500 litres. Then in February of this year, it had jumped to €500 for the same 500 litres of oil. Uh, That amount of oil kept him going until April when he needed to get another 500 uh, litres and that's when he saw the big jump. It had gone to 676 uh, euro. Then he bought oil last Monday and it's gone down just ever so slightly. It's down to 661 euro. Still very, very expensive for 500 litres. So if you look at it year on year, it's gone from 389 to 661. What's that? About 60% of an increase, but it's down slightly on the price it was in April. Is that an indication that it is, it is, is it, will it continue to fall? Or is it like what I'm saying seems to be happening at the petrol pumps? Is it kind of stagnated? And is that going to be as low as it's going to go for now? 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp. Anything you want to get off your chest, anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, as we mentioned yesterday, two more nursing homes are closing their doors as rising costs are continuing to threaten the survival of many of our smaller care facilities. 
One of the nursing homes who announced their closure is Strawhold Nursing Home in Formoy. Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland joins me. Good morning to you, Tyg. Good morning, Patricia. Good now, to speak with you again. And great to speak with you. Big shock, I have to say, here in the Formoy area because Strawhold has been caring for uh, up to 30 residents since, I guess, the late uh, 80s. Will it be hard for nursing homes like Strawhold to find alternative care facilities locally? Absolutely. I mean, look, this is this is heartbreaking for everybody, I suppose. Primarily our thoughts are with the, the residents, obviously, who now have to find a new home, but also the staff uh, and indeed the owners and managers of, of Strawhold because uh, clearly what we've seen over the last number of years is, a, I suppose, an ambivalence uh, there in terms of uh, funding care generally, but more particularly nursing home care. But I suppose in terms of your specific question, yeah, I mean, it will be challenging, there's no doubt, uh, particularly as we come into the winter. And that's something that I suppose, you know, all of us should be concerned about um, because ultimately what we need is a a well-functioning nursing home sector to ensure that there is care in the community and also to ensure that people are in the right the right place. And it also obviously um, ensures that people can be discharged timely from the acute hospital. So this is, uh, you know, a, a significant challenge on so many levels. Yeah, and it obviously, for residents, particularly residents who may have been in a particular nursing home for a number of years, I imagine that causes huge uh, upset. And I saw somebody mentioned yesterday, it actually can cause trauma uh, to, to, to the residents, not to, not to, not to mind the, the families and how difficult it is for the families. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what we've got to remember is that the nursing home is their home. And as you say, for many of them, they may have been there for two, three or even longer a number of years. So, you know, any of us will tell you in, in, in society at large that moving house is a, is a particularly difficult challenge for, for anybody. Uh, but, you know, at, at latter stage in life, having been settled in a particular facility, in a particular nursing home, knowing the staff, knowing your fellow residents, there is definitely trauma associated with moving. Um, and we know as well that research has indicated that uh, it, it does have an impact on increased mortality. So, as I said, this is a catastrophe on, on so many levels, and it's one that can be avoided. I mean, ultimately, you know, you and I have spoken on many occasions. Uh, we as an organisation, Nursing Homes Ireland, are continuously engaged with government on the need to put nursing home care on a sustainable footing. I mean, what we're seeing now is a manifestation of that ambivalence. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm normally a, a glass half full person, uh, but until such time, as there is positive engagement, my fear is that there will be further closures across the sector. The high energy costs, uh, the high electricity costs, high gas, um, oil for central heating, is that the final straw for many of these smaller nursing homes? Well, definitely it's a huge contributory factor. I mean, what we've been through is a very difficult period in COVID. That has obviously led to a significant increased cost. And while there were supports from government, uh, the supports were only a contribution towards those costs. But there's two issues here. There's a, there's a, I suppose, an immediate issue around the, the energy that you spoke of. But there is an underlying issue here in terms of, as I say, funding of, of nursing home care. So, yes, you're, you're right. I mean, the eye-watering increases in, in gas and electricity. And indeed, you know, all supplies, because suppliers to nursing homes are also increasing their uh, charges. That has definitely, you know, tipped uh, a number, as it were, o- over the edge. Uh, and, and um, you know, we've seen 12 closures across the country in the last number of weeks alone. 
um, you know, over nearly 600 uh, people who have been displaced from their home and, and 600 beds lost from the system. So, you know, this this is something that we just can't sit idly by and, and shrug our shoulders and say, oh, isn't that terrible? I mean, it, it has a huge, huge impact, as I say. But you're right, the, the energy costs and, and um, you know, heating and, and light uh, has definitely had a huge, huge impact uh, in the last in the last number of months as well. And, I, you know, I don't want to cause alarm for other families who've got loved ones uh, living in, in a local mm. nursing home. But... Can you foresee more closing or more considering closing? Well, I know that there's a, a number who are considering closing across the country because they're in touch with ourselves on a regular basis uh, to a see what was coming in the budget uh, in terms of the, I suppose, immediate cost pressures around energy. Uh, and while there was some announcement, we still seen the detail. But yeah, I mean, you're right. We don't want to cause alarm because the sector is resilient and we've seen that resilience displayed uh, in COVID, obviously. Um, and, you know, a person doesn't make um, the choice uh, or the decision, rather, to close any nursing home lightly. So it's one that would have been considered for, you know, a period of time. But in reality, it doesn't give me any um, pleasure to say it. In reality, I, I do fear that there will be significant closures uh, over the next uh, over the next number of years, unfortunately. And that's something that, you know, it, it's avoidable, ultimately. And it's not all about money. It's about, you know, positive engagement with the sector and saying, OK, what are the issues here? What are the underlying issues? How can we address them? And how can we set a kind of a roadmap, if you like, of how to address them? You know, we're not naive thinking that there's, you know, um, uh, you know, significant resources available overnight. But if there was a commitment there to work with the nursing home sector and nursing homes Ireland to say, OK, over the next, you know, 12, 24, 36 months, here's the roadmap for nursing homes then uh, I'd, be, I'd be hopeful that, that many of those who are in, in a position where they are considering closure uh, would maybe reassess on that basis and say, uh, maybe we, we will stay uh, operational. Yeah, and I know when Strawhall Nursing Home yesterday issued us with a, a statement, I mean, you know, they, they spoke in that statement about what a difficult decision it was for them, how it wasn't taken lightly, how it was such a sad day, both for them, for the staff and, and for their residents. So, you know, nobody takes this decision uh, lightly to, to close a nursing home. The Fair Deal scheme, is that simply not covering now the full cost of running a nursing home? I mean, is, is it as simple as that? Yeah, I mean, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you, you've put it very simply, uh, and that's exactly it. I mean, the irony here is that, you know, the, the state knows what it, the, the cost of care because the, the fees that are, are provided to the HSE nursing homes are on average 62% per week and more. So all we're looking for is the proverbial level playing field. We just want to end the discrimination on funding effectively. Uh, and if that was done in the morning, I can assure you that would solve many of the challenges. Um, uh, but in a nutshell, that's it. The fair deal scheme, you know, it, it is good from the, the resident point of view uh, because it does give certainty. Uh, but from the provider point of view, as we've seen by the large numbers of closures, uh, is that it just doesn't meet the cost of care anymore. Uh, we've seen increased dependency, increased complexity. On average, the NTPF uh, through their annual uh, negotiations, the annual increase would be of the order of one and a half to two percent uh, on the on the rate. Whereas, as we know at the moment, uh, inflation is running at somewhere between nine and ten percent. So, I mean, it, it's purely mathematics, um, and and that's the the, the bottom line. Uh, as you've said, the, the fair deal 
funding is just completely inadequate at this point in time. Yeah, and I can't even begin to imagine what sort of increases nursing homes are seeing in their electricity uh, bills when they can't come in and their heating bills because the very nature of the work that they do at TIG they can't say, oh, we'll turn the heating off for a couple of hours uh, tomorrow. Correct. You know, they, they can't have the lights off. You know, householders were all being told to try to cut back on our usage. That can't happen in a nursing home because of the nature of the people they're caring for. Absolutely. And again, you know, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, effectively, nursing home care is 24-7. Um, and, you know, while, while, you know, the hospitality sector or retail can say, look, we'll close on a Monday or we'll close early, maybe on a Tuesday or maybe not open on a, on a Wednesday for lunch or something, you know, that is not a, a proposition that can be countenanced in, in the nursing home sector. So it is 24-7. And I can assure you that nursing homes have over many years looked at alternatives in terms of uh, trying to, um, you know, control, as it were, their energy costs in terms of solar, uh, in terms of heat pumps, uh, in terms of, of um, all of those, um, I suppose, proactive measures to, to try and control uh, the high cost. But at this point in time, you know, we're seeing increases of the order of, you know, 300 and 400 percent. Um, I mean, I, I've seen uh, one operator in, in Dublin uh, the other day told me his bill would have been about 400,000 a year. This year, it's going to be about 1.3 million. Um, so, like, that's, you know, unsustainable in, in any language. That's, that, that is incredible. And, and you mentioned the budget uh, earlier and so many businesses were holding out for last uh, mm. Tuesday week's uh, budget in the hope that some rescue would come. But you're saying not much comfort for nursing homes in the budget. Well, what we've seen is, to be fair to Minister, there has been an announcement of a fund, particularly for nursing homes, for disability centres and Section 38 organisations. But uh, it's very high level. Uh, we haven't seen the detail, despite that it being announced over a week ago at this stage. So what we understand is that there's going to be some uh, scheme of support similar to the uh, scheme that was put in play for the uh, COVID period. Uh, but, you know, given the, the acute challenges that are now presenting, uh, we fear that that may not be enough. Um, so we're waiting patiently for the detail on that and we'll be engaging constructively, as we always do. But uh, in essence, that's only a short term measure as well. So that's funding until December 31. What we need to get into now is a period of, of uh, constructive dialogue with the Department of Health, with the Minister, with government and say, OK, what are the challenges here? How are we going to address it? And as I said earlier, you know, even to set in, in, in train a, a process by which there's incremental uh, addressing of the underfunding would give people some comfort. Because, you know, as I said, we don't want to unnecessarily frighten people, uh, but there is a, a very strong likelihood of further closures of nursing homes uh, in, the, in, the, in the weeks and indeed months to come. Yeah, and I think what I find so heartbreaking uh, when you hear about these nursing homes closing down, they are in the main the smaller ones that are in more rural areas, they're the ones that are the family-run business. That, you know, they're yes. not the bigger nursing homes that are in the urban areas. So, and for families, you don't have a lot of choice when your local nursing home closes down. It isn't a case of, oh, we can simply move Nana across the road because across the road that's, doesn't exist. That's right, absolutely. And we're losing a whole swathe uh, of community services. I mean, you know, for the last number of years, the... the, the, the the watchword or the, the, the key word on, on, on health has been Shlante care. And we talk of the orientation of care from acute to community. I mean, nursing home is community care at its best. Um, so we're losing a whole swathe of those across the country. And in reality, those smaller homes will never, ever be built again. 
and, and yes, while it's the smaller ones today, it'll be the medium ones tomorrow and it'll be the bigger ones uh, in time to come. You know, this is there's an inevitability about this if we don't do something about it. I mean, we just can't as I say, put our hands up in the air and say, you know, there's nothing to be done. Of course, there's something to be done. We've got to be creative. And we've all, we've all come to the table as providers, as staff. Uh, but the government really, in terms of the, the fair deal scheme, they have to take the lead role on this and, and put in place a, a sustainable policy around care of the older person that deals with all of that. Because we have an, you've heard me say before, we have an aging population. That is something we should be actively celebrating. Um, but there's very little to celebrate uh, in the current climate uh, for older people in, in terms of nursing home care, unfortunately. OK, we'll leave it there. We'll speak again, Tyg. In the meantime, thank you for that. Thank and you and we good appreciate morning. Uh, you taking time out to talk to us. Uh, good morning. That is uh, Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland. And I think Tyg's point about, you know, nursing home, uh, nursing home care is community care at its very best. And I can already see some of our listeners saying what is happening in nursing homes is simply appalling. Why can't the government invest in it like they're doing with childcare? Uh, really a nursing home is an essential uh, service yeah I agree with you 100% and Michael says hi Patricia there's a lot of delayed discharges from the acute hospitals already and these closures of nursing homes are going to add to that and what the, what will that do is in turn A&E's will become even worse as we head into the winter months I understand we already have ambulances with very vulnerably ill patients in a queue outside the hospital sometime for a, sometimes for hours outside the accident emergency department and that's been happening right across this year where are we going to be for the winter months ahead the government throw money at it but it doesn't seem to solve anything integrated planning is necessary says Michael and I think thank you for that Michael and Ty Daly is right you know and he's been beating the drum about you know we have an ageing population we have a fantastic central statistics office that run an amazing census every for every five years so all of the data is there it's not that suddenly all of these older people appear and the government can scratch their heads and say oh nobody warned us about that uh, we know what's happening we know we need uh, more nursing home beds than we already have so if we're already struggling particularly with as Michael says delayed discharges people who need to move out to a nursing home but there isn't a nursing home bed available and we're adding to that nursing homes are closing down uh, it's it's a frightening, frightening scenario for sure. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Ireland is frequently highlighted by international bodies as having one of the lowest breastfeeding rates in Europe. So it was good to hear that interest in breastfeeding is slowly growing with a 5% annual increase that's according to the HSE. So to discuss what more needs to be done, I'm joined by Lynn Carroll and Lynn is with the La Leche League uh, Ireland. Good morning to you, Lynn. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and, of co- me on. and of course, this is National Breastfeeding Week, so it's, it's important that we talk about this topic, especially on a week like this week. But according to the HSE, uh, the national data shows about 63% of mothers commence breastfeeding in hospital. And I thought that was, that was a pretty good figure. But the key is to keep it up once they're discharged, isn't it? And that's where we seem to be falling down. That's right, Patricia. Yeah, 63, around 63% of mothers initially start breastfeeding in hospital. But by the time kind of they're leaving hospital, that's fallen to around 37%. So there's a big kind of drop in those first few days. And, you know, what we would kind of see with moms coming out, um, you know, the, they really 
midwives in the hospital are so overstretched. We all know all of our healthcare staff are so overstretched. And they just don't have the time to spend with the mommies. You know, establishing breastfeeding in those early days really needs, you know, moms need help and support and they need the time, um, you know, to, to be able to do that. And unfortunately, our healthcare staff, we just don't have enough of them um, and they don't have the time to be able to do that. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, by the time mums come out into the community um, where we see them, you know, those rates are, have dropped significantly. Um, you know, and that's and it's a real shame because we have some absolutely amazing um, staff in our hospitals and also in our community as well with our public health nurses in our community, and then obviously with our like the likes of ourselves, the Lesh League of Ireland, um, and there's other you know the other voluntary groups who've Cridu and Friends of Breastfeeding as well. Um, and one of the things I'd like to say to mums out there who are listening, or parents who are who are listening this morning, is just to say that. You know, La Leche League is here to help anybody who wants to give their baby breast milk or human milk. Whatever way that looks for your family, we would be delighted if you pick up the phone and contact one well of done. our leaders. Well done. And, and it is. It's those early, those uh, particularly for first-time mums, those early few days in the hospital. And of course, the period of time now that mothers spend in the maternity hospital has shortened. I mean, I saw uh, the president's wife, Sabina Higgins, talk about this uh, last week, saying we're, we're kicking young mothers out of hospitals uh, too quickly. Yeah, I was actually at the event in the Oris there the other day. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful event. So many moms and babies in the same room. It was lovely. Um, but, but she, I mean, she's right. I mean, I, I think kind of, you know, years and years ago, it would have been, you would have been in hospital for maybe a week after giving birth. Um, and, and I mean, there's benefits to that, but there's also drawbacks too. And I think it comes down to individual choice, Patricia. You know, some mums would like to be in hospital for a little bit longer, maybe to help establish feeding and so on. Some mums want to be home. Some mums want to be back with the support of their partners and their family. Um, you know, and there's very, again, it comes back to staffing levels. I think there's not very much choice in our hospital system for parents, um, you know, to see what they would like. Um, and, and I mean, that's one of the key things that um, at the Leche League, we would always ask any mom who contacts us is, is, you know, it's not up to us. We, we don't want to tell them what to do. We would always say to them, well, what do you want to do? Mm. And I think that's really, really important. It's a really important thing to get across is, you know, everything is quite individual to people and to families. Um, and I think the, the system of healthcare that we kind of have now is very dictatorial. You know, we're kind of told what to do when we're pregnant, we're told what to do in birth, and then kind of that rolls into what happens after the baby comes to. Um, and mums really aren't given a lot of choices. Um, and, and the key is around choices and the key is around, you know, what do they want to do? What does it breastfeeding look like for them and their family? Um, and that's a really, really important thing because it gives the control back to the to the mother. And um, I think sometimes they're nearly railroaded into things when babies come along and, you know, kind of the hospital are telling them to do one thing and so on. And society is telling them to do something else as well. Um, you know, and I think sometimes just to take a breath and ask the mum what she wants to do. I yeah, and, really and, and as well, I suppose, to get the message across. I mean, there are so many benefits, aren't they, to both mum and baby when it comes to breastfeeding? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think probably the benefits to babies are probably well known and well established. You know, they would have uh, lower instances of asthma, 
Uh, they have a lower risk of gastrointestinal disease in early life. There's a lower rate of obesity in later life. But there's also some great benefits for mums too. I mean, there's lower, if you breastfeed, you have lower risk of breast cancer, of uterine cancer, cervical cancers, osteoporosis in later life. Um, and there's also as well, one of, the, one of the very interesting things is if mothers are given the support to reach their own breastfeeding goals, and um, they also have lower instances of postpartum depression. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, but, but the kind of the flip side of that is if they're not supported um, to reach their breastfeeding goals and they stop before they're ready, I would never ever say that anybody gives up breastfeeding. Like that's just, it's an awful way of phrasing it. Mm. I would say that somebody stops before they're ready um, because they weren't given the support that they needed. Um, and unfortunately, if, they, if people stop before they're ready, that can actually increase the rate of postpartum depression. So it's a real kind of, you know, sort of a bit of a knife edge there, really, when it comes to kind of supporting mums. Um, yeah. And, and of course, another obvious benefit with the rise in the cost of uh, living, there's, there's financial reasons for breastfeeding, isn't there? I mean, it's the che- yeah. cheapest way to do it. But, I mean, you know, breastfeeding itself is free. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I would I would really kind of say this at the moment, and there does kind of seem to be some financial barriers. I mean, some sometimes people think they need to pay for, you know, a private lactation consultant, and and I would have to say that you know in some instances the private lactation consultants are excellent that we have in this country. There's also some of those um, IBCLC international board certified lactation consultants. They're actually available through the HSE in certain areas as well, and. Um, but you don't necessarily need to pay for support in order to get good quality information. Um, just to say that all of our Lelecha League leaders, we have 110 leaders across the, the island of Ireland um, who run 36 in-person groups. Um, and all of our leaders are trained, they're accredited. We do train it twice a year to keep up to date on the latest breastfeeding information and it's evidence-based research that we look at Um but we, we also have practical experience. Patricia, all of our leaders have fed at least one baby to at least one year. So okay. we know what it's like. Well done. And there's, there's nothing like that kind of experience when you're chatting to, to a mother. And particularly a mother who might be struggling because you're able to say, look, I went through the same thing myself. Absolutely. And, and some of the, there was some really nice research out a couple of years ago here in Ireland, Irish-based research, that showed that mums, while they valued the input and the information that they get from healthcare professionals, they also really value that peer support. So yeah. there's other mothers talking to them and saying, well, God, my baby did the same thing at the same age. And a lot of the time it's around giving mums the confidence to be able to parent their baby the way that they would like. And, um, you know, we get all these kind of negative things from from social media and from the TV and everything. And sometimes mums just want to be able to follow their own instincts and having a supportive group of other mothers who are kind of parenting in the, the same way is so important to mothers. Mm. I mean, I, so I, I saw um, it was a university a professor from Limerick saying we need investment in, in promotion and, you know, suggested that yeah. we have billboards saying breast is best. We need to get that message out. We're bombarded yeah. with ads on the TV about, you know, formula for babies. You know, let's yeah. start pushing the breast is best message. Breast, believe it or not, breast is best is actually, I think it was coined by a formula company, believe it or not. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> There's irony in that for sure. There There's really irony. is. <laughs> okay, but, but, but you mean... Absolutely. What we, what we would say is, I mean, breastfeeding is the biological norm. You know, like, if you can't, I think there was a sports person coined the phrase, 
if you can't see it, you can't be it. You know, and if we don't see, we don't see breastfeeding represented here in Ireland in our, you know, in, in the media. We, you know, people don't breastfeed on TV and TV programmes. Uh, we don't see it really if we're out and about in our local cafes or in our supermarkets or in our shopping centres. Um, but the more people see it, the more people kind of, it, it comes back into our psyche and we think, oh, well, that's just, that's just, just the, the normal, natural thing to do. Okay. And, yeah. and and reach out and get support. That's that. Uh, I think that's yeah. one of your top messages this morning. Lynn, we say, yeah. Just very quickly, um, we do have our Cork City Lalette League group meet on the fourth Friday of every month okay. in Ard Fallon Methodist Centre on the Douglas Road and they'd be delighted to see anybody who wants to pop along. You're very there. good. You're very good. Continue good luck with the great work that you do at Lalette League. Uh, Lynn, but thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks so much. Good morning, Jim. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A reminder to you that right across this the month of October, we're inviting you to listen and win because every Friday throughout the month of October, we are having a C103 free fuel Friday. We're giving you the chance uh, to win 100 fuel vouchers right across the day. And I need to stay listening this Friday and every Friday in October. And you'll need to identify the star in the car. And once you've identified who the star of the car is, we'll be getting you to text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. That's C103's Free Fuel Friday with East Cork Oil. Uh, They serve Cork City and County and indeed right across Munster. And if you'd like to find out locations, you can uh, by going to yourlocaloilcompany.ie. Always local, only on C103. That's going to be fun this Friday and every Friday throughout October. Let's stay actually on the topic of heating and fuel etc. Because I spotted this tweet, this tweet came up on my newsfeed during News at 11. Do you remember last week when the budget, it was just after the budget I'm sure, uh, there was some complaints around Leinster House that the heating hadn't been switched on and we were led to believe that normally what happens is that when the TDs and the Senators come back after their summer break, which is normally around mid-September, that the heating is normally on and for some reason the heating wasn't switched on and there was people going around with their coats, their overcoats on them, particularly in the evening at time. And at the time, an email had been sent out to say, look, they were doing their bit, uh, showing solidarity with the rest of the com- country and they weren't putting on the heating until at least the uh, the 1st of October, which was Saturday. And the aim was that the heating would be on on Monday of this week. Well, it seems last night, all of the members of the Oireachtas got an email at about half nine last night and it said, and I read, last week we notified you, we'd be turning on the heat on Monday the 1st of October at the earliest. We've squeezed in two more non-heating days on Monday and Tuesday of this week and the heat now instead will be switched on on Wednesday uh, the 5th. So it goes on this morning. The email said, we appreciate your tolerance and we know that some people will have felt the cold more than others. On a positive note, this has helped to reduce our collective carbon footprint and also reduced our significant heating bill. It's worth repeating that it's important that the Oireachtas shows leadership in relation to Ireland's climate action targets and the national effort to reduce consumption and the facility management will actively manage heating uh, throughout the 2022-2023 heating season. So God, uh, and I'm sure that that will give comfort to so many of you listening knowing that all of our politicians and our senators finally got the heat switched on uh, this morning. 
at the Dáil and the Senate doing their bit uh, for climate change. So I'm, I'm assuming that Eamon Ryan and the Green Party maybe have something to do with that uh, as well. 0818103103. And remember, uh, in the last hour, I mentioned Colin Botwent, who's been tracking the price of oil. And he had, he had given us quite detailed information over the last 12 months of how much his fills of oil had cost. And you could see it from literally... August of 2021 um, to February of this year to April of this year and then just last Monday he got another fill of oil how much it had gone up uh, by. That prompted somebody to say and and actually now that I think about it I think this listener could be right. St. Patricia, column your listener listing out all the oil that he has purchased over the last 12 months. I would suggest that he gets his boiler service. He seems to be burning a lot of fuel. And then when I add it up I read that's too fills, two full fills of oil because he got 500 litres each time so that is an excessive amount isn't it for, now I don't know what size house maybe Column lives in a big house, maybe there's a business attached to it, I don't know but it does seem like, I was thinking of my own house then now I have one of those super warm houses and I'm very lucky to, to live in but we would never go through more than one fill of oil a year so I suppose it depends on the house and the bar rating of your house and your windows and if your windows are sealed it's not uh, heating isn't escaping but it does seem like I don't know how many other people would get two full fills of oil over a 12 month period it does seem like a lot of oil and you're right that I don't know that listener is right to say get your boiler serviced it's one of those things I think along with your house insurance I think they're two of the most important things if you have to scrape the money together try and scrape it together but certainly you you get a payback by having your boiler serviced and having it serviced every year so thank you that came in by WhatsApp no name on that uh, thank you for that and then Anne when I was talking about the pay as you go customers and we know that the government yesterday, there was an Oireachtas committee in the government we're talking about trying to protect the pay-as-you-go customers. And the big problem is going to be to make sure that they don't self-disconnect themselves by not having enough money to put into the meter and suddenly the lights, and in some cases the heating as well, uh, will go uh, off. And now they're trying to come up with some kind of a scheme of how will they know when somebody has run out of electricity and they simply don't have the means uh, to top up. And says, Patricia, listening to the problem with the pay-as-you-go customers, surely it should be possible to modify the meters so that they switch to bill pay if they run out of credit. Customers might end up running up a small bill, but at least the electricity would stay on. Ooh, isn't she a smart, smart lady? And what a, what a clever uh, suggestion. I don't know if that's possible, though. We would need somebody from one of the electricity providers to tell us because they're saying that they don't, they, they don't get notified when somebody, somebody's electricity uh, goes off. So they won't know if somebody's running out and um, surely they get notified when somebody is out of electricity. But anyway, they say they don't know what they they haven't the they haven't the technology show when somebody's running out. But that does sound like a, a pretty good way of working out and and stopping people from self disconnecting that they'd go on to then a bill pay for that period of time until they top up. And as you say, and if it's only a small bill, it, uh, it it certainly would rule out that self-disconnection for sure. Good suggestion from you, Anne. Mary in Formoy, this is on the ladies, Monica, one of our listeners who overheard the ladies in buying all of the hot water bottles, got helped them on Saturday, two elderly ladies, and they were talking about doing it to keep themselves warm in the winter. Mary in Formoy, 
boy is wondering, is it a little bit of false economy and could it be a vicious circle filling up the hot water bottles because they're going to have to boil the kettle? And boiling the kettle can be very expensive. And Mary says, boiling the kettle can be be as expensive as putting your gas on for 20 minutes. Yeah, that, and we do know that we've been told about boiling. The, if you watch the meter when you put on your kettle and if these ladies are filling six water bottles each. Now, the water, how long will the water bottles stay warm for them? I don't know. But is it possible that it's a false economy for them? I don't know. But it certainly is a, is a, is a thought and something that they need to uh, work out. Um, hi, uh, Patricia. A thousand litres of oil is not excessive. No, well, um, what we were talking about, Colm has put in 2,000. He said four fills of 500 litres. And that's what one listener is pointing out, that that seems excessive for, say, a standard three-bedroom house. But I don't know the size of the house. Hi, Patricia. I admire those elderly ladies in Dunn stores stocking up on their hot water bottles. I tell you, I've done the same thing myself. I've also invested in good warm pyjamas. At least these ladies are budgeting and they're using their brains, unlike some people who will just keep complaining and do absolutely absolutely nothing about it. There are some people out there who expect the government and the services to do everything for them. That's a, that's a valid point as well. And that generation of older people, I mean, I'm assuming that there are probably ladies in the, maybe their late 70s and in, in their 80s. They're a generation who would have grown up knowing budgeting and knowing what it was like to do without and knowing that you had to make the pound stretch as far as you can. Unfortunately, we have a younger generation who expect everything at the flick of a switch and have never really gone through hard times and who've never really experienced what it's like to want. So, yeah, there's there's two groups of people. There are the people who should be reaching out for help and never will do it. And then there are the others who always expect everything for free. You're, you're spot on with your, your text. Thank you for that to 86 And then a couple of people on reacting to my piece with uh, Tyg Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland and about this worrying trend now that we're seeing of smaller nursing homes uh, closing. This is in from somebody who signs themselves a former care worker living in West Cork and says the next time that you have Tyg Daly on talking about the importance of nursing homes, you should speak to him about the pay scale for healthcare assistance. Do you know that they're on the lowest the lowest end of the pay scale. I worked in a private nursing home and I worked there for almost five years. I was on basically a minimum wage and I've checked to this day that hourly rate has not increased. It's an absolute joke how owners of private nursing homes are getting away with such poor salaries for these hard working health care assistants. Uh, the owners of private nursing homes says this listener is living the high life. Uh, um And the rubbish about the costs running a nursing home is a joke. Every patient pays over a thousand euro to live there for basic living conditions. Anything extra is an added expense that the family must pay. And that person signs himself a former carer in uh, West Cork. Well, you can't say that all private nursing home owners are living the high life because if they were living the high life, why are so many of them getting out? Now, maybe in the larger nursing homes, more of a profit has been made, but certainly in the smaller ones that we were talking about today that are being forced to close, they literally have no choice. And even in some of the larger nursing homes, the nature of the work that they do. I mean, the one that that Ty Daly quoted out was it's a large nursing home in Dublin. Running costs n- normally are around 400,000. They've jumped to 1.4 million. Now, 
if you have a bit in reserves you'll be able to keep that going for a year or two but you're not going to be able to keep that going uh, for long and of course remember the point that Tide was pointing out people in the private nursing homes and the fair deal and how much is paid to the private nursing homes is very different to what is paid to the HSE run uh, facilities they get paid much uh, more and you know listen the trend is there people are closing down and if they were making excessive profits then they wouldn't be uh, they wouldn't be closing down therein uh, lies the problem something has to be done to keep these nursing homes uh, open and then Dan in Mallow says Patricia here we go again our tax paying senior citizens it sounds like they are being left to rot uh, while we are we put up 50,000 Ukrainian refugees in warm hotels and private rented houses where they're fed and founded, medical cards, free schooling, free clothes and then we hand them €200 Euro a, a week to live on. It's an absolute joke of a country we have. It makes me sick to my stomach when I hear of how we treat our own. But you see, and what makes me sick to my stomach, Dan, is seeing a comment like that because I hate when we try to pit one group of people against another group of people. Ukrainian refugees have arrived here and they're fleeing for their lives. And I know it doesn't sit well, well with, with everyone that they're in this country when, you know, there's a rising cost of living. But I mean, I mentioned the amount of money that is coming into the exchequer. The surplus for the for the month of September is 7.9 billion for the first nine months of this year. The ex, the It came in at... Um, a 58 billion euro the country has money it isn't a case that we should give to one and not give to another and just on the Ukrainian refugees and I know and I'm seeing a lot more of this on social media and it really really does sadden me to see uh, people pitting you know the, the Irish against the Ukrainians as if the Ukrainians deliberately came here to bleed a system dry because they didn't. The very majority of them want to go home. They want to be in living in their own country. They don't want to be living in another country as a refugee. Some of them try as they best they can to go out and get work because they don't want to be living off um, the state. But I watched a documentary. I'm, maybe I missed it when I was away a couple of weeks ago. It was a documentary on the E uh, called The War at Home and it really, I, I thought it was the most upsetting programme to watch and it just followed basically Ukrainians arriving in this country and it followed Irish people who've reached out to help Ukrainians either helping them here at home or going over to Ukraine or over to Poland uh, to help them and it just, it showed the humanity I think of this country as well but unfortunately as time is going on there are certain sections of society who are turning against the Ukrainians and blaming the Ukrainians and that really worries me. But more than anything, it just breaks my heart that anyone would, you know, point the finger of blame as if they are to blame that a war, their country was invaded and they were forced uh, to flee. It's just, uh, we need to change the story. We, we, we really do. Uh, 0818 uh, 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Skilled labourers are wanted to help carpenters. This is in the Blarney area. Now, your own transport and references are required. Uh, CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A sign fitter is required for work in the Cork area. You need to email your CVs to jobs at acesigns.ie. Carpenter wanted for immediate start. It's in Cork City and in the suburbs. Own transport necessary. 086 
176757 for further details. And a business development manager slash sales rep is required to build customers for a drain cleaning business in the Cork area, 87 7068533. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. A recent Simon Community Conference on Ending Homelessness suggested that a reliable system to track the exact number of properties lying vacant across the state is required to help increase housing supply. Joining me to discuss the issue is Tom Gilligan and Tom is with the Vacant Homes Ireland website. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Patricia. You are very welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, for people who are unaware of your website, it's a crowdsourcing website. Just tell me a little bit about it first. That's right, Patricia. Um, Yes, vacanthomes.ie, it's a crowdsourcing uh, uh, platform that was developed uh, by Mayo County Council uh, and myself on behalf of the local government sector. And the idea around this, uh, the initiative is, is based on local people uh, within their communities identifying vacant properties and then logging them, recording them on on the website. And then what happens then is once those properties are recorded, uh, an alert is sent to the relevant vacant home officer in each local authority who then follows up in order to bring the property back uh, as quickly as possible. Because at, at this moment in time, we are in the middle of a housing crisis, as you know, with, with record numbers of homelessness. So it's very important, I think, that we utilise our existing staff and try and bring it back into use as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And have many people interacted with the website? Yes, we've had absolutely thousands of, of, of Brilliant. people. At this stage, we would, we would have up to, you know, there would nearly be about 8,000 uh, nationally on, on the website. And the, it's it's very interesting from our point of view because... The biggest response we've got has been in the in both Connacht and sorry in in Munster and in Leinster, and between those two provinces, we we would have in excess of eighty percent of the properties would be logged from those two provinces, and they would be the the two um, uh, provinces in, in in the country that would obviously have the highest uh, housing need. Mm. So you know, so that that really is important, and, and as I say, we've had. Um, success in relation to that where properties you know have been brought back into use and which now you know providing homes to 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 families um that that are in need of housing yeah yeah. because because the big problem here mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tom, when, when I realized that you, you were coming on and I went on, you, you, it, it's a really good website. But then, you know, I was trying to look through other figures, tr- trying to find out, I mean, do we have precise figures on the number of vacant homes that are currently in this country? Well, that's the thing, Patricia. And I asked this question when I was uh, I was I presented at the Simon Week conference um, back on the 26th of, of September, and I asked that very question. One of one of my slides started with that with that question: is how many vacant homes are there? And if you look at it, um, census uh, 2022, mm-hmm. and that was recorded on one specific date, Sunday the 3rd of April reported 166,752 vacant homes. Now, if you look at the revenue uh, figures that have been compiled in in relation to the new um, uh, vacant home tax, um, the report on that was 57,206 vacant properties, and that was self-declared by the owners on the 1st of November uh, 2021. And also, you have the geo-directory for quarter two, 2022, classified 86,708 so which, which, nationally. So which is the correct figure. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the question I would yeah. ask me. Exactly. You know, like, this is why I, I believe that we, at this stage, we need a, a national uh, robust database that will collect this information and that it, you know, will, will be relevant and timely. And it, one of the things as well, which is very interesting to note, that the Joint Committee on Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Heritage published a report recently on urban regeneration. And one of the key recommendations was the creation of a single national platform to compile and integrate uh, um, uh, and organise existing uh, data on vacancy and dereliction into, a, into a, a publicly accessible uh, data set. And that's what we need. We need a single um, robust da- data set that will give us accurate and timely information. And not only in relation to, the, to that particular data set, but we need to look at other data sets as well around, around the country, such as in relation to, um, you know, the, the, the ESB, electricity meters, and also in relation to Irish water. And the usage of water in properties. Yeah, there's many sources that you can go to 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 get the accurate information. You know, we all need to be talking to each other, I believe. You know, yeah, so because, I mean, we had the vacant home tax, an increase in the vacant yeah. home tax announced in last Tuesday's budget. Um, is that going to help in any way? Well, look, I, I have been an advocate in relation to that. I do believe we need to ad- ad- adopt um, a, a carrot and stick approach. And I certainly do believe that the introduction of a vacant home tax will will help. But I do wonder: is it is it um, is it strong enough? 
you know. It, it, you know it's, a, it's a self-declaration, isn't it, as well? It, it is self-declaration. Yeah. And at, at the moment as well, in relation to the vacant home tax, what what has been pitched at uh, primarily is that it, it's looking at, um, um, basically will be charged at a rate that is three times the property's local local property tax rate. So, you know, instead of primarily collecting a, a couple of hundred euros on the property, I firmly believe that we need to be collecting a couple of thousand euros. Mm. And then we, we have the, more and more people we to, have to the government's up. repair and release scheme. Because, yeah. of course, some vacant uh, properties, it's not simple as putting the key in the door and somebody uh, moving in. You know, many of them will need uh, repair. That particular scheme, is that just not ambitious enough? Well, look, the, the targets, the scheme, in, in, in fairness, when, when it first came out, um, the figure, the, the, the maximum figure was um, 40,000. Now, the government did increase that by 50%. So so it is an interest-free loan of, of 60,000. Um, but the reality is at the moment as well that the cost of bringing some of these vacant properties back into use far, far exceeds that figure. You know, it could be, you know... A, we have properties that that uh, people have come to me on and have said to me that you know it's going to cost me excess of one hundred and fifty thousand to bring the property back into use. So the sixty thousand is, yeah. is useful, but but it's not enough. Not yeah, the, yeah. The government did set um, targets um, for repair and lease scheme housing uh, as part of the housing for all targets national figures. But in twenty twenty two, that figure was one hundred and twenty units. Uh, 2023 is 130 and 2025 was 140 units and 2026 was 140 units. So look, I, I believe that we do need to be more ambitious and I do believe that you know there is an opportunity here to utilise schemes such as the repair and lease and the buy and renew uh, in conjunction as well. Don't forget the, 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 the recently announced uh scheme which provides a grant of 30,000 for a vacant home and an additional 20000 if that property is derelict. And that is a grant, as opposed to maybe the repair lease, which is an interest-free loan. So I, I do believe that, that you know, there, there are schemes out there, but we're probably not promoting them enough. Yeah, enough and they need to be used. Yeah, I think they yeah. need to be promoted and, and utilised. Because it, whenever we discuss, whenever I mention vacant properties on this programme, Tom, I inevitably would have listeners ringing in talking about vacant properties in their village or in their town centres. And right across the county, I don't think there's, there's a, a county, village or town that somebody won't be able to identify uh, vacant properties. You know, once upon a time, the, the local butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, their families lived over the shops. But of course, that's now gone. But there are properties that could be lived in in our town and village centres. Absolutely, Patricia. I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, we have here in Ireland, unfortunately, they're, 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 you know, we have so much vacant property. Now, it's not just restrict, restricted to Ireland. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a worldwide um, a, a epidemic at this stage. But you're right, in every town, in every village, and even in part of our cities, you know, the blight of vacant and derelict homes, you know, is having a huge negative impact uh, on, on our housing supply and, and on our communities as well, because it's having that impact in relation to, you know, we need to rejuvenate our town centres you know, we need to bring people back in to our town centres. We need to, re, you know, rejuvenate, reinvigorate 
uh, and bringing these uh, bringing vacant properties back into use will certainly uh, help in relation to that. It, yeah. It's not, it's not the, 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 the total solution by any means, but it's certainly in, in a sense where we, where we have a housing crisis and we have a shortage of housing, of housing bringing vacant homes back into use is certainly... Well, it's, it's you know, the way I feel about it, Tom, is it's part of the solution. We can't build houses uh, quickly enough. So exactly. vacant properties are the way to go. You know, it'll go some way to helping people who are, who are currently either homeless or uh, trying to maybe purchase a first-time home. Absolutely. And I mean, apart from the housing aspect of it, there's so many other benefits. I mean, from a even from a climate change aspect, I mean, a report that was published um, indicated that to actually build uh, a, a home, it takes 50 tonnes of CO2. Mm. But, if you, but if you refurbish or, 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 or um, you know, refurbish or bring back a vacant home, it, it takes 15 tonnes of CO2. OK. Well, the, green, so the, green, the Green Party would be, would, be, exactly. would be happy so actually, with that. You know, yeah, so we're actually helping the planet and helping our environment as well okay. by bringing vacant homes back in. Because when you think about it, Patricia, I mean, in relation to the vacant the, the vacant property, you already have your roads, you already have your utilities, your street lighting, in a lot of cases. All that key infrastructure is in place. You know, you have your utilities there in relation to your water, your, your ESP. So you already have a very, very strong foundation. Okay, and vacanthomesireland.ie uh, if people want to log on and find take, out more, take, particularly take if you have a... Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, 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 and it's it's really easy to, to navigate and to put in the details of the vacant homes. So it's vacanthomes.ie. Vacanthomes.ie. Tom, pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Tom Gilligan of vacanthomes.ie. And actually somebody, when we mentioned the property, the vacant property tax that was introduced in the budget last Tuesday week. Somebody says, Patricia, bear in mind, you only need to have the property occupied for four weeks. Well, four weeks in a day, 31 days, isn't it? Uh, in order to avoid paying that uh, prop- extra property tax. Uh, that's not going to work. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG. With a packet of cigarettes once again going up in last week's budget, many smokers may now be considering quitting the habit and doing it for good. To discuss a 28-day no-smoking challenge organised by the Cork Kerry Community Healthcare Team, I'm joined by HSC Quit Advisor, and that's Jonathan Hannafin. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Now, this 28 days is important because I believe if you can make it through the 28 days without smoking, there's a good chance that you quit for good. Isn't that the case? Yeah, that's correct, Patricia. So what the kind of research comes out is that if you kind of make it the 28 days, you're about five times more likely to stop for good. Um, which is obviously very uh, progressive and, and I suppose a lot of your listeners would be delighted to hear that. And for many smokers, do they have a number of failed attempts before they fan- finally manage to quit for good? Oh yeah, often is the case, Patricia. Um, I suppose most smokers would have tried and often failed in the past and might often take people four, five, six times mm. to try quit. And I suppose what we find in the service and uh, by going through our own standard treatment program offered by the HSC, 
they're about four to five times more likely to quit for good um, by engaging in the behavioural support and also um, some of the medications that we would recommend along the journey. Yeah, and I think that's important to point that out to any smoker listening because you'll often hear that because I think the majority of smokers would say they would love to quit but people would say I've tried too many times I just can't do it so it's good for those people to hear you're not alone when you've had failed attempts but that doesn't mean that you can't eventually do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, people would have often went alone or people would say they would have tried and maybe one product before even going cold turkey. And um, and that could be very difficult um, going it alone. You're not getting the support. You're not getting some of the um, advice and recommendations to help you. Because what we, what we do as part of the service, we would assess each smoker individually. Because from my view, there's no two smokes that are the same. And from that, you can create a real personalised um, plan because everybody's life is different and help them quit and based on their lifestyle. So when, when somebody contacts the HSE uh, quit team, they're normally coming to you as fully-fledged smokers? Yeah, 100%. Um, and we often say that because some people would kind of try quit before the first appointment. But not at all. We would, they would come as smokers. We would assess them as a smoker. Um, often we do um, different tests and get their background to smoking. From there, then, we could recommend uh, medication, basically the nicotine replacement therapy, um, based on how much nicotine and tobacco use they're getting. Do they really um, help, Jonathan? Yeah, they definitely do. do. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, most certainly. Uh, what a lot of people would do, I suppose, when people are trying to quit, one of the biggest things for them to fail is often the withdrawals and the cravings from tobacco. And so with this nicotine replacement therapy, this would significantly reduce these cravings and withdrawals. Um, not 100%, but to the point where it is a lot more makes a ba- Yeah, makes a, yeah. it makes it bear- bearable for, for sure. And like when you talk about the 28 days, typically how long do the, you know, the really bad cravings and the withdrawal, how long do they actually last for most people? For most people, look, yeah, again, kind of going back, it's very individual, um, but the 28 days is a lot because I suppose as a smoker, you have your, your nicotine dependence, which is your nicotine de- uh, addiction, which I would say is a physical addiction, but you also have a mental addiction to smoking through habits and routine and stuff like that. So when you're getting through this journey, you're creating new habits and you know, you're creating new routines in your life. So your thoughts of cigarettes decrease as well as your physical dependence to nicotine decreases, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember talking to somebody who was who was giving up cigarettes and I was I was asking her how she was getting on and uh, she was saying that it's certainly the first few days, maybe the first week or two, it was constantly on her mind. And uh, she said she it, it, there was one day she went to bed and she realised when she went to bed, I didn't think of a cigarette all day today. And she realised at that point that she had cracked it. But she said, you know, it took, it took a good few weeks to get to that stage. But in the early days, she was saying every single minute of every hour of every day, she was thinking about cigarettes. Yeah, and after people kind of get anxious about that, because I suppose um, your subconscious mind, I often say to people, if I told you not to think about a banana, Patricia, the first thing that's going to come to your head is banana. <laughs> so you, 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 it's, it's very evident at the time that like I'm quitting smoking, I'm quitting smoking. So your subconscious is going to make you think of smoking more more than ever, really. 
but it passes. That do, that it, does pass. It does indeed. And I often tell people trying to kind of don't dwell on it. We kind of really much take a one day at a time approach because cravings do come, but they do pass. Mm. Um, some cravings only last three or four minutes. So keeping yourself busy in, in the early days and maybe the first week or two, as you said, it's it's a great recipe they'll kind of successfully quit smoking. And that's where, as you say, the nicotine replacement therapy can take the edge off that. And I'm also wondering, Jonathan, having family and friends, maybe even work colleagues, having them on board, does that help to support you through it? Oh, yeah, of course. The more support, the better in anything in life, any any lifestyle behaviour change. Um, but it's not always the case. Like You'd often get one partner, one family member, um, trying to quit smoking and the other person might be ready in their quick journey and they, that doesn't mean they might they might quit a couple of months time but just getting that support so often I would say if you can isolate the smoking outdoors preferably from the home or isolate to one room and just getting that kind of look I'm not quitting but I'm going to support you on your quick journey because we know the benefits of quitting smoking uh, and the harms of quit, of smoking. I mean, many years ago, one of the big problems for people trying to quit smoking was if they went out for a drink because everybody in the pubs and the restaurants were smoking. But the fact that that's gone, that must help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's obviously with the the workplace ban and it does kind of move the smoking outdoors and smoking to the smoking areas. So again, you're not being triggered by that smoke blowing in your face after the meal and or around the area. Um, but again, it can be still a big thing for people because we know with drink and smoke and it, sometimes it goes hand in hand. But again, that's what the nicotine replacement therapy is for. And that's what the behavioural support in the treatment program is about. Because we do kind of um, break that down and we kind of come up with kind of maybe some some plan or some solutions to that. OK, and I, I mentioned at the start of the introduction uh, to you coming on the programme, Jonathan, I mentioned about the cost of cigarettes. We're living in a cost of living crisis. Everybody's kind of watching every single euro and cent that they have. Do many smokers give up because of how much it's costing them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would be the case. I suppose we have have noticed even since before the summer, the summer would generally be a quiet time for our service just because people are be on holidays and it wouldn't be the first thing on their agenda to quit smoking. But I suppose for four, five, six months now, the cost of living crisis, inflation has all been in the news and the media um, and the service has been a big increase and a lot of it down. A lot of people would say it is about the cost of smoking. Like, for example, I would say if you were a smoker of 20 cigarettes per day, you're going to save over 5,000 euro per annum um, by not smoking, which is a huge amount of money for anybody. Um, it's incredible. It's yeah. It's incre- incredible. Uh, somebody's talking about the health implications of giving up uh, smoking. Pat says how many people died from smoking-related illnesses in the last twelve months? They say one in every two, isn't it? Is, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. One in every two um, smokers will probably die of a smoking-related disease. And not only that, I suppose from my point of view, we all know the the risks of smoking, whether it be cancer, uh, lung disease, stroke, heart attack. But often I try to highlight the benefits of quitting smoking because I suppose from my personal experience, that's where a lot of people kind of it hits them. You know, people who are get quite short of breath, even little things like being able to walk up to the top of the stairs without getting out of breath and feeling like that their blood pressure, the heart rate coming down, they feel more relaxed. 
Um, just a lot of the short-term benefits and long-term benefits hits home more than, I suppose, the idea of cancer and that. In my, in my experience, really, it's just the benefits really important for people. Yeah, massive amount of benefits. Um, Sheila, obviously, Sheila's a, a former smoker, said that what she found the most difficult when she was giving up cigarettes was to stop herself buying them when she went into the shop. So it's, it's almost like it's all these little habits, isn't it, that you do? Definitely, definitely. Uh, often people would say that, that they, they pass the shop every day and they'd be going in and getting their, their two litres of milk and their pack of cigarettes. And often the shopkeeper, would when they quit smoking, they'd be going, oh, anything else? And then yeah. you're forgetting yeah. your cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, like that, it's, it's the little habits and just kind of change, sometimes changing your routine, maybe even changing the shop that you go to a short term, just to kind of, um, you know, kind of that effect where you, if one thing is linked with the other. So if you remove the first thing, you might you might create the association with the other thing. Okay, so if people want to find out more about the programme that you operate at the HSC, it's quish.ie and there's also a free phone number? There is, yeah. So it's 1-800-201-203. And I suppose we do have our own local one as well at 021-492-1641. And it's individual one-on-one support that you give, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I suppose with Claude Care and the HSC now, we're, we're really trying to make it um, to the, the person-centred. So we, we know before we've been in a lot of Q-Cent. We're in different communities all around Kerry and Cork. And it's kind of a standard treatment runs over six weeks. And with COVID now as well, Patricia, there is a hybrid approach. So if someone doesn't drive and can't access the clinic, it can also get over the phone support. Brilliant, so, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, it does. So. Yeah, you don't always have to travel to to a venue. It's the one thing I think that the pandemic has shown us. We can do a lot of things online or over the phone. Okay, listen, Jonathan. Thank you for that, and let's hope by our chat today that we may have encouraged some smokers to finally kick kick the habit. But thanks for joining us. Thanks. No problem, Lord, Patricia. Good morning, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Jonathan Hannafin, who is part of the, he's a quit advisor uh, with the HSA. A lot of commentary coming in and we'll get to those afternoons at 12. Also giving you gardening questions for Peter Dowdle, 0818 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Premier League Live is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welsh this Saturday from 2pm and that's powered by Talk Sports. We'll be bringing you live coverage of Man City versus Southampton at 3 and then Brighton taking on Spurs at 5.30. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. This and Saturdays on the C103 app are you can go to c103.ie. Some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. Can we help Mary in Middleton? Mary in Middleton lost a sum of money on Main Street in Middleton somewhere between the AIB Bank on Main Street and the car park now for those people in Middleton will know the car park is the, it's the one next to the Church of Ireland uh, Church now it was American Dollars that Mary has lost and they were in a white envelope. She'd obviously been in the bank, got her dollars, it's for an upcoming trip and uh, there's a reward on offer. If anybody picked up that envelope would have opened it up and saw it stuffed full with dollars that belongs to our Mary in Middleton. Uh, now if anyone's found the envelope you can drop it straight into Middleton Guard the station because Mary's been into the Gardaí in Middleton so they are aware of it and we obviously also have Mary's uh, details on file here so anybody 
did anybody find a white envelope with American dollars in it? That's a really, really bad start to a trip for Mary. It would be great if we could get those dollars back to her. And then somebody who is on the move a little bit later on uh, today, travelling to Dublin later on. Does anybody know if there's continuous backlog of traffic going through the Jack Lynch uh, tunnel? I got John Paul to check and he said, yes, there is. There's work continuing in the Jack Lynch tunnel. So just add a little bit of extra time. You can expect uh, delays if you're travelling through the Jack Lynch tunnel. 0818103103. Keep your questions coming in, please, for Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener. He'll be joining us in a couple of uh, moments. And in the meantime, let me take a look at some of your calls and comments that have come into the programme. Now, I started the show by mentioning Monica, one of our listeners, who had spotted two elderly ladies inside in Dunn's last Saturday and got help them. They're stocking up on hot water bottles and she couldn't help. She was in the queue behind them. She couldn't help but overhear their conversation. And they were talking about how afraid they are of the winter months and they won't be able to afford to leave the heating on the way they normally do. So they've decided hot water bottles is the way to go. They're going to have the hot water bottles uh, all over them when they're sitting watching TV in the evening time and then they'll take them into bed with them and they'll keep them nice and snug and uh, warm. Dennis in uh, Castle Magner said to the people who are commenting on those two two ladies, those two ladies are probably used to hot water bottles from their youth and more than likely they were raised on the benefits of a good hot water bottle. Dennis says the problem nowadays are so many people expect too much and they want everything instantly at the push of a button. Dennis remembers years ago and indeed he says not too long ago and maybe it's still happening today. People went to bed wearing hats. They say you lose a lot of your heat don't you through, through your head? Anyway, uh, Dennis says when he was younger, he remembers coming down the stairs of his home and the hot water, which would be in, do you know the little hot, the little holy water font inside in the hallway? He, Dennis says he can remember that the house would be so cold that the holy water font, the water would have frozen Goodness me. Dennis says, I feel too many people are blaming the government for everything and expecting everything to free, everything for free. No matter what happens, the government can't win. People expect the government to do and give everything to them. They want handouts for everything. Previous generations just got on uh, with it. 0818103103 is that's what's gone wrong with society we are expecting uh, too much and somebody else says the government are damned if they do and damned if they don't uh, 11 billion euro was handed out in the budget last week and yet Patricia your show is still full of people complaining you can text our whatsapp 0862103103 and people are entitled absolutely entitled to put their complaints in as well we welcome one and all now we spoke about breastfeeding earlier on here is a text in from Anne-Marie says Patricia I had my babies in the UK where I believe that three out of four babies are breastfed one healthcare person that said to us in our antenatal classes that if we were having cows the cow's milk would be perfect but as we're having human babies then human milk was what was made to give to our babies everything they need and it all comes in a perfect meal plan we were also reminded that it was the ultimate convenience food as it was always prepared always ready for feeding anytime anywhere it was free and we didn't need a steriliser but while my own mother was hugely supportive and strongly advocated breastfeeding on visiting Ireland back then my mother-in-law 
reacted with enormous shock when she realised how I was feeding my newborn. In private, by the way, respecting her feelings. She did not accept breastfeeding, could not understand that we could possibly believe that breastfeeding meant giving our baby the best possible nutrition. Indeed, knowing that I was on maternity leave from work, she exclaimed, you are not that poor, are you? And money, by the way, had nothing to do with our decision as I worked for a good company. So I was out on maternity leave on full pay. My experience of breastfeeding in uh, Ireland then was being regarded with disdain when in reality it should have been and should be seen as the ideal, says Anne-Marie. And, you know, you're, you've, you've hit on something as well because there was a generation of mothers who, and I don't know, did it come in from the 70s? I think in the 60s. Mothers were still breastfeeding, but I think from probably the 70s on, it, it looked like you were, it, it, you were affluent if you weren't breastfeeding your baby, if you were using the, you know, the latest formula that was on the market, the latest steriliser, the latest bottles that were on the market. And that then got into the psyche, I think, of Irish mothers. And then what happened was those mothers in the 70s and the 80s didn't breastfeed their babies. And now when their children are having children are having their own babies that support isn't there they can't actually go to their own daughters and say well when I breastfed this is what I did because there was a whole generation lost out on breastfeeding and a lot of that had to do with the formula companies as well pushing forward oh you're doing so well you don't need to be tied down to breastfeeding and we all know that breast is uh, best and it's good to know that we're slowly getting back in there we're still a long way off when you compare us to other countries and I know I've mentioned this before when I was on holidays in Australia one Christmas um, a couple of years ago my sister-in-law had just had a beautiful uh, little baby and we arrived and the baby was oh, probably only about a month a month old I think when we arrived and uh, so she was breastfeeding because in Australia it would be unheard of if you put a bottle into a baby's mouth they all breastfeed and they would look at look the exact opposite to Anne-Marie you would be looked at in with disdain if you weren't breastfeeding and I just couldn't get over everywhere we went in Australia it was so easy for Maria my sister-in-law to breastfeed there was these wonderful rooms that were available in, in shopping centres for mums and babies for changing areas and for privacy while breastfeeding but even if we were in restaurants or having in a coffee shop having coffee there was no problem at all about breastfeeding no it was very discreetly done in, in public and she sort of had this kind of a wrap with her all the time so you couldn't you couldn't see but you knew a baby was being breastfed and it was lovely to see other people smiling over and wishing her well and how is the baby and it's just so socially accepted that's what we need to get to we need to get to that norm in this country where it is more socially accepted and that we celebrate it and we make it as easy as possible for mums when they do decide to breastfeed so thank you and good to know Anne-Marie you weren't you didn't let your mother-in-law influence you in any way and you continued to uh, breastfeed Jim then says Patricia this is coming from another era as well I was just thinking about this as I went to school across the field I always thought that the boys with the bicycles were a bit more clever than me but I think now that I'm 73 about the profits that the electricity companies are making and yet they still seem to be increasing their price the price of electricity to us am I missing something here I always thought that when you're losing money then that is the time that you increase your prices I can't get my head around the fact that if they're making lots of money and they are making all these profits then how come they're increasing their chances 
Funny how much I missed by going to school across the field with Wellingtons and not having the bicycle because it's the smart boys on the bicycle. I take it are the ones running the electricity companies. Thank you for that, Jim. On nursing home and nursing home care, Sylvester says, Hi, Patricia. Really sorry to hear that nursing homes, uh, some of them are going to be closing down due to the high cost of living. This, to me, is hypocrisy on our politicians' part. People work and pay taxes all of their lives. Then... They are good citizens and then they're good citizens for the politicians. But then when those same people head into older years and retire, they don't have much life left. Politicians don't seem to see them anymore. Already it's almost like these people have become redundant. This to me is a sign of a sick society. We all pay taxes and it's thanks to us the politicians earn so much money. So let the politicians get off their rear end and help out those in nursing homes. Home helps our home Nursing homes should have a special rate for electricity, for kerosene and for gas. Remember, says Sylvester, we'll all be old one day and we may all need the help of your local nursing home. Not that people work all their lives to end up under a bridge at the end of their lives. And that comes in from uh, Sylvester, who feels that the government should be giving a dig out for sure to the nursing home sector. And then a different gym says, Patricia, I was on to you a while back because I'm doing up a cottage on my farm and I'm doing it bit by bit. I'd just like to tell you, I, I didn't put in an oil burner. Instead, I've put in a wood burning stove. It, it heats up the, ho- the house in under an hour, says Mike. It is the way to go. And then another gym was on when we were lots of gyms this morning and on saying that, uh, oh, sorry, that, sorry, the text about the oil, the wood burning stove is from Mike. Sorry, Mike, the two texts have come in back to back. Thank you for that, Mike. Jim then was saying uh, when I mentioned about that the, the heating has gone on for the houses of the Oireachtas from today, they've done their bit for climate change and they've done the bit to try to conserve energy by having no heat days and they got people to wear their coats instead. Jim said, you can tell Eamon Ryan and the rest of the politicians, tell them to bring their hot water bottles into the door and then you could leave off the heating altogether. We've got elderly people in Cork City buying hot water bottles. Why can't we get the... Why can't we get our politicians to use hot water bottles uh, as well? And then someone says, at the end of the day, who's paying the energy costs for the houses of the Oireachtas? Isn't it us, the taxpayers? Yeah, but they're seen to be doing, they're seeing, I think the point that was made was they're showing solidarity to the rest of the country by not putting the heating on. And then on those older people with their hot water bottles, isn't it an awful pity that those elderly ladies didn't have their homes properly insulated? Uh, They would be able to keep warmer for much longer. 0818103103. We touched on smoking today and we had the HSE on with one of their quit advisors trying to help people to uh, quit. And what the HSE are running, and you'll hear it in a lot of their ads, is if you can quit smoking for 28 days, they reckon you've nailed it. There's a higher chance that you'll stay off cigarettes. Well, somebody disagrees. So they don't agree with the 28 days that the quit team people have come up with. And I'll tell you why. I tried to give up smoking a few times and I went back after a month or maybe two months. It was only after giving them up for three months that it worked. My wife, who is a a nutritionist, had been telling me for a long time that I needed to give it at least three months as it takes this long for the body to completely forget about nicotine and to completely forget about the habit. That's my tuppence worth, Patricia. I hope it helps somebody. Okay, so this listener finally felt 
they'd completely quit when they hit the three month mark and then Barry from West Cork says Patricia listening to your discussion on smoking it actually made me really really sad both my parents a number of years ago passed away and both of them died from smoking related issues my dad in particular suffered a lot so you can imagine I really really am against uh, smoking it would be nice if people like me were in a position to maybe go in and talk to sixth class students speak to them about the dangers of smoking says Barry from well that's not Barry sorry there's another name is coming on that says uh, this listener yeah to go in and, and and I think if you can try and get the message through to the sixth class because I suppose most people wouldn't have taken up smoking by the time they hit sixth class it's when they get into the secondary school isn't it if they're going to take up smoking that's when you're traditionally going to do it so to try to get the message through to people thank you for uh, your text and it's it's dreadful to think that you lost your, your, your lovely parents because of uh, smoking, but I can see it's turned you certainly against it. 0818 103 103. A reminder, please, that we are looking for gardening questions for Peter Dowdle. If you have a gardening question, you can get it in either to John Paul or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Anam Cara, who are the bereavement group that offers support for people who have lost a child of any age and in whatever circumstances, they're holding their next Cork City meeting. It is tonight in the Clayton Hotel in the Silver Springs, 7.15 start. No need to register. You can simply come along on the night. Also on tonight, Mass in honour of St. Pio. That's on in St. Joseph's Church in Lismar. 8 o'clock start. All are welcome. Blarney and District Historical Society are presenting an illustrated lecture. It's entitled Stories from the Big Houses of Montanotti. It's on tomorrow night in Blarney Secondary School. The speaker is Brendan Goggin and all are very welcome. And Newmarket slash Canturk Alzheimer Cafe. They're meeting in Newmarket tomorrow morning, 11am to 1pm. Now, Dementia Advisor Amy Murphy will give an overview of dementia services and supports in the area. To register your interest, contact Linda Goggin at 087-955-3940. And Bandon's GAA Weekly Bingo is on tomorrow night. It'll start at the earlier time of half past eight from this week, Thursday the 6th of October, and it will continue from the earlier start for the winter months. So get those bingo markers out and head to Bandon GAA Pavilion tomorrow night, Thursday, for Eyes Down at 8.30. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Okay, some of your calls and comments come in. Actually, it's good to see a number of people uh, texting in to say that they are they gave up the cigarettes. Uh, people did it various ways, but lots of people saying that they are smoke-free. Best thing they ever, ever did. And advocating anybody who's trying to give up smoking uh, to please do uh, stick with it. You will eventually uh, give, up, uh, give up the cigarettes. Uh, and then uh, the cold weather and the hot water bottle. Somebody says, I remember coats on the bed. I'm 66 now, says this listener. Do many others remember 
a big warm coat being put on the bed and somebody else actually on hot water bottles Martin says Patricia my mother gave me and my brothers and sisters hot water bottles uh, from when I was about two years of age I'm in my 50s now and my own daughters won't go to bed without a hot water bottle they're absolutely fantastic says Martin in Fromoy who would you believe is off the cigarettes since yesterday I am using a nicotine inhaler says Martin I'm doing good so far it's exactly 24 hours since he had his last cigarette go you Martin and hang in there and please 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 let us know how you uh, how you got on okay on breastfeeding couple of there's gardening questions coming in keep those coming for Peter just on breast uh, breastfeeding this is from Shay hi Patricia on breastfeeding mother nature knows best it's the way we were, we were created to do it only narrow minded people think it's not right or find a problem when it's done in public breasts are for feeding babies and not for what some sick minded th- people think they're part of the sexual world and on the ladies with the hot water bottles I agree with Jim people have it in this world there are people in this world there are needs and wants they've got it all mixed up what we want and what we really need are two very very different things I'm in contact with an orphanage in Uganda and oh my god what we take for granted and all that we have here and what they appreciate and how little they have I'll leave it there kind regards says uh, Shay and actually there's a number of people agreeing with Jim and his uh, comments that people are just looking for handouts there are a certain section of society not everyone who just are looking for handouts all the time but just also on breastfeeding let's also be aware and and I, I should have touched on this probably more when I did the, the Leche League on there are for some women who really desperately want to breastfeed and for some women they can't and that's prompted a listener says that I had three children and I found the pressure to breastfeed in this country was unbelievable and I couldn't my milk just never came through after trying and trying for weeks and weeks on end I couldn't breastfeed in the end I can tell you I felt absolutely terrible I actually felt like a bad mother we must remember some women cannot breastfeed for medical reasons so feed is best not breast is at best yeah and in fairness that, that that's the one thing we did touch on that with the Leche League you know when some women have in their mind oh I'm going to breastfeed I'm going to do it for three months I'm going to do it for six months and if for whatever reason they have to give up after a month the Leche League are really strong and powerful on that saying you know once you tried and that's exactly what you did you tried and for medical reasons it just uh, didn't work but I think what when we're talking about breastfeeding and trying to encourage women to breastfeed is trying to encourage the women who won't even consider it they won't even give it a try and it isn't easy for everyone it isn't something that just comes naturally to everyone it can be really really tough and there will be many many women listening to this programme who did breastfeed or who didn't breastfeed who will tell you the lengths they went through to try to uh, breastfeed 0818 103 103 Sean in is off the cigarettes for 12 years go you Sean he said I smoked for 50 years I started because basically everybody else was smoking around me I gave up cigarettes with your programme one evening I decided I needed to quit so I only had five cigarettes left in a packet the next morning I did not smoke straight away I listened to your show every day and I decided to wait until the 12 o'clock news to have my first cigarette and then I didn't have one I said I'll wait until one then I said I'll wait until the late afternoon basically I gave up slowly timing myself via your programme and it worked (laughs) 
I feel a lot better for giving up the cigarettes. Go, well done, John. You see, yeah, and in the, when the HSE are doing that quit programme and what I like about it is it isn't, I mean, they used to do, remember once upon a time they sort of had group sessions where they brought everybody in together. These are individual programmes. You can do it face to face or you can do it over the phone or and they actually talk it through with people, you know, their smoking habits, where do they smoke the most? I know certainly when I uh, gave up smoking, the hardest one for me was that one right after food, you know, right after dinner, always have the cigarette. I was never one of those ones that stumbled out of bed and could put a cigarette in, into my mouth. I would always have to have had a cup of coffee or something first. But for me, it was the ones after food I found the hardest. So I remember the when I was giving up cigarettes, I used to just do something, do something to keep myself busy to distract from from the craving. So yeah, and so different things work for different people. But well done, Sean. 12 years on, smoke free and feeling the benefit uh, of it. And then Nancy in Bantry is picking up on the listener, wasn't it, Dan in Mallow, who was talking about the Ukrainians and was talking about the need we have in this country and how can we afford the 50,000 Ukrainians. And then I, I hope I didn't have a go at Dan, but I was saying that I just... It upsets me when I see comments coming in like that because I don't believe we should be pitting the Irish against the Ukrainian refugees because, you know, the majority of the Ukrainian refugees don't want to be here. They don't want to war in their own country uh, and they have no choice but to uh, flee. Nancy in Bantry uh, feels that when I read out Dan's comment, she felt that Dan wasn't having a go at the Ukrainians, but rather he was having a go at the system that's been put in place by the government, not at the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians simply arrive in this country and then they go where they are told. But when you stop and think about it, with 50,000 Ukrainians after coming into Ireland, that's a huge amount of people coming into such a small uh, country. She said, I don't blame a person for feeling cross about this situation because Nancy and Bantry said at times she's feeling cross herself. She said, I can see why people are angry when she watches her own daughter who's desperately trying to pay off college fees and then another person can arrive into this country and is handed the Susie grant and doesn't have to pay college fees. It can be really galling for some people. So it's the system that's wrong rather than the Ukrainians. Yeah, that's well put, uh, Nancy. And yeah, it is true. But my fear is because I'm seeing so much negativity against the Ukrainians. My problem with it is that people will almost turn against the Ukrainians as if it, as if it is their fault. And yes, you're 100% right. It's the system uh, that's wrong. It's just when I see some of those comments coming in, I just worry about it. I, I just, I really do. I just I worry about it. Oh, thank you for your call. 0818 103 103. Peter Dowdle, our resident gardener, is about to join us and answer your gardening questions. If you have a gardening question, can you get it into us, please? Either into John Paul, 0818 103 103, or you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, uh, joining me on what well, I'm looking out the window and it's a gorgeous uh, autumnal day. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? In between the showers, it certainly is a nice day. 
but it's blue skies where I am. Yeah. It's, it's really gorgeous day. And you know what? I, I don't like the cold, but I don't mind it now at this time of the year. I don't mind that autumn chill. I, I, I don't like the winter chill, but yeah, I don't mind this, the autumn yeah, chill. It's it a lovely nice. fresh day. Okay, lots of people out and about in the garden. Let me give, give you some of the questions coming in. Maura says, question for Peter, please. Can I move my osteospernum now or is it too soon? Um, it's too soon still just uh, you know after what we're talking about you want the temperature to drop to, to very very low and even zero before you move anything now the thing is with osteosperma there's with it actually that you'd want to check so some of them are hardy and some aren't so depending on the variety you have obviously if you don't you have one that isn't frost hardy well then ideally you'd have it growing in a place you could bring it in for the winter and move that no problem obviously uh, but if it's a non-frosty one growing in the garden then I would act earlier because you don't want the temperatures because it won't be hardy enough so if it's one of the frost hardy variety in other words does it come back each year after year uh, then I would wait for, for, for before I do it Okay can you just move slightly you're just breaking up you're just clipping a little bit we can't hear you loud and clear but it's just clipping uh, a little bit so if you just move the phone slightly. Okay question in for Peter. Hi Peter what should I do with cuttings over the winter? Do I just leave them outside in pots? How long will they take before they rot? I'm experimenting with several different types of cutting and just hoping for the best. Well if there and one I hope that you can hear me better but um I presume that was predictive text. He's wondering how long it, before they root and not rot. Um, oh, root, so sorry. Presuming that is, yeah, yeah. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Yeah, well, now, what I was saying was it, it kind of depends on the, which varieties you're taking the cuttings of as to whether you leave them in or out. But I would say a good rule of thumb is to have them all indoors because obviously if they've taken the cuttings by now, then they're all what we call softwood cuttings. Um without going too far into it, really, all, all that means is you, you need to keep them indoors uh, until they root. You want to give them a small... You don't need to give them a heat, but they would need the heat of being indoors uh, to help to promote roots. Um, later in the winter, of course, we can grow plants from hardwood cuttings. Now, they're fine outdoors, but we won't go there right now because it's too early. Um, so keep them indoors. Keep them kind of damp without being overly moist. Uh, and, you know, it's great because it's just trial and error, which, is, believe it or not, is how I started gardening, is just taking cuttings from everything and to see if they root or not root. And you know what? You'll be amazed to see how many of them will. So, But in short answer to the question, I would keep them indoors for the winter. OK. Hi. Afternoon, Patricia. Question for Peter, please. Uh, if I should lift my dahlias now, or is it OK to leave them until around December? One of them actually has started to flower and the other has flowered flowers on it. We don't get much frost in winter as I live by the sea thanking you in anticipation and I can see from that number that that's a call coming from overseas I just don't know where overseas it's coming from but it's somebody living by the sea Okay, well if they don't get much frost during the winter and they're, they're, they're near the coast um, I wouldn't be in a mad rush to lift them at all during the winter because but that's me being a lazy gardener again the textbook answer is yes, lift them during the winter. However, uh, Certainly in my own garden here in Bami, Cork City, uh, they're, 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 if not quite full flower, there's still a good show of colour on my dahlias. I wouldn't dream of lifting them yet. They're still very green, lots of flowers still on them. Um, so I won't be lifting them. Um, no, I actually will be lifting these ones because I, want to, I do want to move them from where they are. But most years, as I said to you before, I'm a lazy gardener, so they need to sink or swim, and I, I leave them there from year to year. So 
uh, for anyone listening in, in the Cork area, I would say you certainly don't lift them yet. But depending on where this call is from, I would wait a while yet till the foliage dies back and, and the flowers die back, probably another month away. Uh, and any time that you, after you see that happening, that's kind of putting the tuber to sleep, if you like, when you see the foliage and the flower dying. And that's when you lift them any time after that. Catherine in McCroom says she has a tree growing. She said that looks like a crab tree. So when she looked it up, she's discovered it's a Siberian crab apple tree. She's wondering, can you eat the fruit from a Siberian crab apple tree or could you use it for baking and making jams? What I do with my crab apples is I leave them for the birds because the birds love them. Now, in terms of whether we can eat them uh, in a jam or not, I'm I'm no expert because I don't like crab apple jelly. Um, But with, with nearly all crab apples, Yes, I would say yes. Um, you you might get a more definitive answer from one of your other listeners who has baked with them or has, has used them in cooking. Uh, I certainly haven't, just because they don't like the taste of them. They're very bitter, um, aren't they? They they are very, yeah. they're not for me, they're not for me. But I would say that the answer is uh, most likely uh, yes, but I would wait for qualification from somebody who has done it. Now, you gave advice yesterday on making leaf compost. So Anna is back in with a question. Should the leaves gathered be dry before bagging them or is damp okay also? Um, or is damp okay? That's her first question. Yes, the, the answer to that is yes. In fact, a, a bit of moisture is nearly better because that helps, helps the decom- decomposition uh, and helps the heat to build up. So yes, damp leaves are fine. Okay, uh, so and then Anna's also is, I purchased a Victoria Plum Patio Fruit Tree self-fertile last April and I'm wondering, when can I expect it to fruit? It's in a large planter, looks healthy. Would it do better in the ground or I'm okay to leave it in the pot? No, you are okay to leave it in a pot, provided two things. Number one, that the pot is big enough for the root room. Uh, for it. Uh, and when it's growing in a pot, obviously it can't get its own nutrients. It's quite a finite amount, so you're going to have to pay attention to feeding it. And I would use an organic tomato food when feeding that. Um, so the, the time of blossom there is kind of April, May time, maybe slightly earlier, depending on the spring. Um, and that's the time that you want to be feeding it uh, to, to bloom. Victoria is self-fertile, as she just said as well. But I do find that nearly all self-fertile fruits will do better with a pollinating partner nearby. So if you do have space for another Victoria or a different plum, so much the better. Uh, so it will survive in the pot. Uh, I don't know what age the plant is that she has bought, but I would imagine it's probably a two or three year old bush at least. Uh, so I would be expecting fruit next year from it, being honest. Hi, uh, Peter. My begonias in pots are still flowering. Can I save them for next year? Jur is wondering. My tuberous begonias, Trish, are in full bloom still at the moment, yeah. as are my gladiolus. So am I. Lots, so yeah, am I, yeah. Not colour there. So with the tuberous begonias, as you know, yes, because they, they, they're, they're a corm, um, which you lift out of the ground, store, store it somewhere cool and dry over the winter, and they will come on again next year even better. They're the tuberous ones. They're the big, really full flowers that you know. Then you have the fibrous-rooted ones, which are the much, much smaller flowers, masses of tiny little flowers. They're fibres rooted and they're, they're an annual. So, no, I mean, you know, often they can come back if the winter isn't severe, but we treat them as an annual. Uh, so I would say if they're the fibres rooted ones, I'd say the answer is no. If they're the tuberous, which are the really big flowering ones, then the answer is a very definite yes. OK, question for Peter, please. Now that the apples have all been picked from the apple trees, what do we do with the trees? Do they have to be pruned back? If so, by how much? And is now the right time? Okay, dealing with the last part first, if you like, it's probably still a bit early. I would wait till next month. November, December really is the best month to prune your apple trees. 
difficult to give comprehensive advice, Trish, over the radio. But what I would say, so it's not like you, you cut back by X amount percentage and that's it. What you want to do is you want to concentrate on having an open centre so that you, you don't have branches crossing and causing congestion and rubbing against each other in the centre of the bush. You want good air circulation throughout the apple tree, uh, which will help to prevent the development of fungal infections. So when you're pruning it in November time, try and make sure that you're removing any diseased branches in the first place any crossing branches that are rubbing against each other and any branches that are heading for the centre. Make sure all the branches are heading towards the outside to form that open bush, open centre tree. Um, And then in terms, and also what you want to do is you want to retain as many of the fruiting spurs as you can. Now the fruiting spurs are impossible to describe over the radio really. They're like leaf buds, but they're kind of like a swollen leaf bud is the best way I can describe this. Um, So they're what's going to give you fruit obviously enough next year uh, but in terms of how much you need to cut back, it does. It, it depends on each tree and each each site. But but hopefully those general bits of advice will help. Okay, and a very final one. Uh, somebody's just discovered a Christmas cactus in a back room that got forgotten about over the summer, and it's completely dry dried out. Uh, they've she's given us some water now. Will she be able to save it? Depends. If the foliage is green, then I would say very definitely because those those green segments, which are kind of like swollen leaves, they they are modified leaves which may conserve water within. So if they're still green, then yeah, there's every, it definitely it's fine. If they're brown, probably not. I'm afraid. Okay. All right. Listen. Have a great week, and we'll chat to you uh, next Wednesday. And if I could very briefly, Trish, just before you go, an awful lot of people have pre-ordered spring flowering bulbs through my own web store, theirishgardener.com. Now, there's still some available if people want, but just letting everybody know they are going out at the moment and we hope to have them, all the orders finally out by the middle of next week. OK. All right. Listen, uh, good luck with that. And we'll chat next Wednesday. Thanks, Trish. Thanks Bye-bye. a million. That is uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com. Gotta go. Nick with you. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.